I'm John Carter in Moscow, in Havana, Cuba. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, right here in communist China, reporting from India. Hi, I'm John Carter in the Solomon Islands. I'm John Carter in Soweto, from El Salvador. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia. Pastor Carter ponders, if this were my last sermon. I just want to welcome you here today, the audience in the studio, and especially the audience across the United States of America and around the world. We thank you for joining the Carter Report today. If this were my last sermon, if it were, what would I, what would I say? I would say those things that are the most important to me personally. I wouldn't talk about trivia. I'd talk about things that were very important. So the topic today is, if this were my last sermon, what would I say? Of course, this could be my last sermon, couldn't it? It could be because of the uncertainty of life. None of us know when we're going to die. This, this is true. There's a text in the Bible, and I want you to notice it, Matthew 24 and verse 44. Matthew 24 and verse 44. Jesus said, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now this, of course, as you know, is referring to the second coming of Christ. But listen carefully to this. In reality, as far as I'm concerned, the second coming is no farther removed than what? Than my death. Because once I die, I fall asleep, and the next thing I know will be the return of Christ. So in such an hour as you think not, in an hour you do not expect. I happen to live in a very nice place. I live in Thousand Oaks in Southern California. We said it was about the safest place in the world until a gunman, an enraged white man with a chip on his shoulder, walked into this bar where they were dancing, square dancing. Lots of young people were celebrating their graduation. He shot to death 12 young people. Then a policeman ran towards the fire. He was shot down too. So when I walk around Thousand Oaks now, I'm not quite as secure as I used to be. The policeman who died in the line of duty came from Moore Park, where our studio is. Recently, a highway patrol officer came to see us at the Carter Report office. I felt impressed to talk to him. He said, you know, I live a number of miles from Moore Park. He said, I live in an area in Southern California where there are gangs. He said, every morning when I leave my family, I kiss them and I hug them. And I pray with them because I may never see them again. 
So you and I really do not know in such an hour as you think not. And then, of course, there were the people who got on the new Boeing 737 MAX. I'm a great uh, fan of the Boeing company. Well, at least I used to be. Because there was this computer thing that they didn't take time to sort out. And their super jet. They said the safest plane in the world. Flying faster than it should have been flying straight into the ground, into the sea. Killed around 350 people. As that plane went down, they would have been unconscious. They had a minute or two to get ready. That's how it happens to people. We don't like to think about these things, but it is true. Life is uncertain, but death is certain. I am now almost <laughs> an old man. I've been preaching without a break for almost 60 years. Who can, who's going to say they've been doing that? I saw the first Russian Sputnik in the night sky above Avondale College in my first year. A boy from the bush, I saw it wobble across the sky. So I've been preaching now for a long time. So this could be my last sermon. And if this were my last sermon, what would I say to you? I'd say this firstly. There is a creator God and he's very good and he's very kind. I wouldn't try to give you scientific proof. I've given you so much stuff on the anthropic principle. I'd say, if you haven't got it now, I'm not going to try to convince you. Because most people believe what? What they want to believe. And because of the weight of evidence, I choose to believe in God, not because of blind faith. Look at John chapter 3, would you please? And verse 16, John 3, 16, you know it off by heart. But God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should say, shall not perish, not should not perish, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So the Bible tells me that God is very, very, very good. When I was a boy growing up in Brisbane, Australia, used to listen to the top songs. One of the top songs was sung by Eddie Fisher. Does anybody ever remember Eddie Fisher? Oh, goodness, you must be old. <laughs> Eddie Fisher sang this song, Oh, my papa. To me, he was so wonderful. Oh, my papa. To me, he was so good. No one could be so gentle and so lovable. Oh, my papa. He always understood. Now, this is an old German song. Would you believe it? He's singing about an old German father who was also a clown in a circus. Gone are the days when he would take me on his knee and with a smile he changed my tears to laughter. Oh, my papa, so funny, so adorable. Always the clown, so funny in his ways. Oh, my papa, to me he was so wonderful. 
deep in my heart. I miss him so today. That papa was a dim reflection of our heavenly father. And you have been loved from the very beginning. I would tell you, you have a papa who loves you. I will, I'd also tell you, if this were my last sermon, I'd tell you this, family and friends are so very important. Human relationships are tremendously important. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14 and 15, would you please? Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 14 and 15. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The Bible talks about a great family of God's people. At farewells, we often sing the old hymn, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. I would tell my loved ones, I'd say this to them, I really love you. I would tell my wife, I love you, thank you. I'd tell my son, my daughters, I love you. Some of my family, my immediate family got together recently at Pismo Beach. This is my beautiful daughter, Leanne, who is a psychiatrist in San Francisco who works for abused children. I'm proud of her. This is Beverly, who's put up with me for a long time. <laughs> my daughter, Julie, who is an intensive care nurse, who is married to Keith, who was a colonel in the U.S. Army and an anesthesiologist. Good guy. Here's David, my television producer. Been working with me and for me for more than a quarter century. So I would say to my family, I love you and thank you. I would say with family, there should be no harsh words. Let me tell you something else. And no lawsuits. My American friends, we have nothing to be proud of when we are the most litigious people on the face of the planet. It is a shame and a disgrace. It shows a deep-seated cancer. It's called greed. I hear of people who just live to sue others. They're always carrying out lawsuits. They have smart attorneys who are experts at telling lies. They're carrying out lawsuits. I've been sued. Because of my work, I've been sued. People think, well, we're going to take him down. God took them down. But I would never, never sue a person. They say, no, you know, no. Sometimes you've got to come out. No, no, no. I have a greater weapon. You know what I do? If a person wants to sue me or take me down, I have a special ceremony with a group of people and I put that person in the hands 
of God, the judge of the whole earth. And what has happened? I've seen attorneys go to prison. I've seen people who've been trying to take me down and destroy the ministry. I've seen them laid aside by the cold hand of death. I don't need an attorney to defend me. And it is a shame and a disgrace when families get so bitter and so greedy that they sue each other and in the church. I won't do it. It's a sin. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 6 and 7. But brother goes to law against brother in the church, in the family. And that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why not lose? No, no, I can't. That's because of pride and greed and sin. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? I would rather be cheated than go to law against my brother. You say that's completely opposed to our spirit. If that is so, then our spirit is wrong. It's of the devil. Something terribly wrong with a nation that has more attorneys than the rest of the world put together. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 to 10, Paul says, And having food and clothing with these we shall be content, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is a cancer. You cannot love money and go to heaven. Say, no, no, that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you can't love money and go to heaven. People say, well, that's not right. Well, I'm sorry. I'm just going to give it to you from the scriptures. So therefore, no taking advantage for financial gain, no bad feelings. I would say, if this were my last sermon, if I were your pastor in your church, I'd say, make that phone call. Reach out. Here's a little poem my mother gave to me when I was a young man. Took me years to appreciate it. Not understood by Thomas Bracken. Not understood, we move along asunder. Our paths grow wider as the seasons creep along the years. We marvel and we wonder why life is life. And then we fall asleep. Not understood. Not understood, we gather false impressions and hug them closer as the years go by. Till virtues often seem to us transgressions and thus men rise and fall and live and die not understood not understood how trifles often change us 
the thoughtless sentence and the fancied slight destroy long years of friendship and estrange us. And on our souls there falls a freezing blight, not understood. O oh God, that men would see a little clearer, or judge less harshly where they cannot see. O oh God, that men would draw a little nearer to one another, they'd be nearer thee and understood. Uh, can you think about this? Can we think about loving each other and stop employing all of these attorneys so that we can make a fast buck? What about Christ? These folks are my heroes. This is the Carter Report team. This is my mother over here and my dad who was an arch Roman Catholic before he came to one of my meetings. This is me down here with Beverly when we we're just out in the ministry. These are my, my grandfather right in the back there. But here is the team. Here's my son, David, my producer for a quarter of a century, MK, and Terrence, who's working the wall, and Chuck, and Beverly, who stood with me through thick and thin, and Tom, and, and Jacob, and here's Angela, who does my my mail outs and Sherito looks after my books and the Sherry and Javier and the Susie. Susie's been with us for 25 years. She said it seems like a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we have a very sweet team. We got no bad feeling. And we try to help each other and we try to be, to be generous. There's nothing I despise more than a mean, selfish person. Sorry, that's just how I feel about it. If you knew Jesus, he'd be a very generous, kind person. Another truth I'd want to say to you if this were my last sermon, if it were, there is life after death for all of God's children. So many of my old dear friends are sleeping in Christ. I am one of the last. My mother, who taught me to pray, prayed with me every morning before I went to school. My father, brought up as an altar boy in the great Roman Catholic Church, who came to one of my meetings and found Christ in the gospel. My mother is an old old lady. She lived to 97. I want you to see and meet some friends who touched my life in a special way. Ed and Joy Tottenhofer, straight out of college more than 50 years ago, Beverly and I, as they said in Australia, wet behind the ears. <laughs> we went to a town in the outback of Australia by the name of Broken Hill, this mining town silver lead zinc the tottenoffers ed and joy they were our mentors and our friends and they loved us let me tell you something about all of my friends my close friends we hate lies didn't say we hate liars but we hate lies and dishonesty and greed, and fraud, and hypocrisy. Hate it all. 
These people did not know how to tell a lie, and they taught us how to preach the word. They're sleeping. Tom Ludowisi, Tom. Tom took an interest in me when I was 17 at Avondale College, and Tom explained to me the gospel of Christ. He loved me. And he cared for me. I'm here today because of my old buddy, Dr. Tom Udawisi. See you soon, Tom. Graham Bradford, one of the great scholars in the church, died of cancer, melanoma, no fault of his own. An Australian, so much sun. Got a little thing on his arm. The doctor messed up. Doctors don't mess up. Oh, 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 oh they don't. Are they perfect, are they? <laughs> Same as you and me. They're sinners needing grace. Just flick, put a knife in it, said nothing. Come back. When he came back, full-blown melanoma. Took three years to die. A hero, a theologian, a Christian gentleman. I miss our weekly phone calls when we talked theology. I got nobody left now to talk theology to. You say, no, 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 it's, no, it's not. I miss Graham. Then there was George Burnside. Beverly and I worked, we had no children in those days. We worked with this great Australian evangelist in a town by the name of Wagga Wagga in South New South Wales. And with the Totten office, he taught me everything I know about preaching the gospel and evangelism. I've never met an evangelist as powerful as this man. A young man came to me during the campaign. We call those campaigns missions. How I despise the term effort. People say we're running an effort. It's like they're giving birth to barbed wire. It's an effort. Don't they know anything about the grace of God? Oh, we're running an effort. It's disgusting. We called campaigns missions. Still do. Running a mission. One guy, worldly, lost, young man, blasphemer, after Pastor Burnside had preached for an hour, he said, why does he have to stop? Pastor Burnside would have a little pause and say, I'm going to start again, go for another hour. He'd say, why does he have to stop? He was a preacher. He was a man of God. In Australia, they say there are three sexes, men, women, and clergymen. A clergyman in the eyes of most Australians is something between a man and a woman. But this man was no clergyman. He was a man of God. He could preach. I was terrified of him. <laughs> uh, Robert Parr, president of the conference, great city of Sydney. Robert Parr was the person who made possible the Sydney Opera House campaign, listen, skeptic, because I meet tons of skeptics 
and you don't impress me, I feel sorry for you. The skeptic said to Robert Parr, they said to me, it won't work, it's impossible, nobody's ever done it before, the days of public evangelism are over, don't you know? Goodness me, they're pathetic, aren't they? Mine eyes have seen the glory. I've seen the glory of the coming of the Lord in Russia where we had millions of people attend our meetings. Atheists, unbelievers. Oh, no, get converted, I say to the unbelievers. The record that was set at the Sydney Opera House back in the 1980s has never, ever been broken. The greatest crowds attended the Sydney Opera House uh, for the preaching of the gospel. Wouldn't have happened without Bob Parr. Then there were my Avondale teachers. So many of them. Here's a beautiful old Avondale chapel built by the early Americans who went out there. So many of them. They taught me that Christ was good and God was loving. I would not be here today except for my Avondale teachers. They're all sleeping, all of them. And then Norm Matico, my Canadian manager for my great campaigns in Russia and Ukraine where we saw the glory of God. They're all sleeping. I'm thankful to God and to them. And I would say to you today, there's coming a resurrection day. And I say, Rest in peace, rise in glory. I will see them all again. More amazing truths to come very soon. Stay with us. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Behind me is the great city of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. Did you know, this is quite amazing, there are more people living in this area than in New York City, and Christ died for these people. We came here, oh, a long time ago, back in 1984. What's that, 34, 35 years ago? And we came here with a team of young people and we came to the PICC. It is our intent to come here, hire the biggest hall that's available, the greatest outdoor stadium, whatever it takes. You've got more than 20 million souls out here. And I say it again, these are people for whom Christ died. I'm asking you to pray for the people of the Philippines. Please pray for the people here in Metro Manila. And please write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at Terrigal at the address that is now showing on the screen. We're back in Manila, and we're back with a message from God. That message is, Christ died for you. And Christ is coming again soon. Please support us. Write to me today, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, and also write to me at Terrigal in Australia. Thank you 
for your support and God bless you. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.